we found a local veterinarian and he and she was sick yes i'm sure he looked at us and he thought well this nice couple's on vacation they're not going to want to deal with this sickly cat cat. But he didn't know us. And he suggested there was little we can do for her and we ought to put her down. Yes. So, of course. (laughs) To Winograd's them's fighting words. Yeah, exactly. We were like, well, no, that won't be happening. What is plan B? Right. Hello and welcome. We're the Winograds. I'm Nathan. And I'm Jennifer. We recently released a conversation in which we discussed a rescue of some mice from a glue trap that Nathan had found along the side of the road. The response to that conversation was overwhelming. Mostly it was from a lot of people who do animal rescue that said that they were so happy to hear other people acting like they did, that they found themselves in our conversation, and we thought that was really wonderful. Yes, because they felt like they were the only ones, and it was so nice of them to hear that there were other people like them. And here's one of the comments we got. Listening to you and Jennifer felt like having kindred spirits over for dinner. My partner and I often experience despair and can feel isolated in this world that seems indifferent to the suffering of our fellow earthlings, but listening to you both left us feeling less alone. Thank you for the connection and for the sense of belonging you have given us. And there was actually almost 5,000 comments to the story of the mice when I originally when you released it on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. yeah. And the vast majority of those were some variant of that. Like, I thought I was the only one. Exactly. And, and I think when you're engaged in that kind of work, it does often feel like you're the only one. So the fact that there is a larger community of people out there that would make the exact same choices that you do. It gives you a sense of belonging, Optimism. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do was to share some of our rescues that we've done over the years because people will see themselves in that. And we've been in this for 40 plus years each. We've got a lot, a lot of rescues. And And one of the the interesting things about getting older and sort of a consolation to all the aches and pains of being older is, is something that apparently scientists say people our age excel at, and that is pattern recognition. And so looking back over the rescues that we've done over the years when we were thinking about which ones we wanted to talk about and how we wanted to talk about them, something occurred to us that a lot of these rescues seem to fall into certain categories of rescues. And I think anybody who's done rescue, I mean, the details might change a little bit, but they're going to be able to recognize these patterns because I'm sure it's happened to them over the years too. Exactly. And so, and, and to be clear, the kind of rescue that we're going to talk about is the kind of rescue that happens when you're busy making other plans. So this isn't the type of rescue which we admire greatly that rescue groups do, where they go into shelters and they rescue animals off death row and they save them. Noble work, great work, work we wholeheartedly support. But this is the kind of rescue that happens when you least expect it or aren't planning on it. It's not deliberate. It doesn't, you're not, you don't step outside the door saying, I'm going to go rescue an animal. You step outside the door usually planning to do something else entirely and life has other plans for you. Right. And many times these rescues start with what we call the double check where you're driving down the side. Yes, a friend of ours named named it the double check, right? Yes, where you're driving down the side of the road and in the corner of your eye you see something that's a clump of something that shouldn't belong, that doesn't belong there and kind of looks like the shape of an animal. So whoever sees it turns to the other person and says, what was that? Right. And then if the other person saw it and is confident that the weirdness that they saw that looked like maybe 
something. It was an old shoe, right? right? right. I could was see the shoe. shoelaces. <laughs> that it you was keep somebody, going on your way. Yeah, but he, remember they would always say, like, not an octopus, <laughs> not so an armadillo. You see it as a flash, and <laughs> right. it looked like a little armadillo in the middle of a Los Angeles freeway. <laughs> and so the other person says it was not an not armadillo. armadillo. So you not an armadillo. Not an octopus. Going. But right. sometimes you don't know what it is. And then you got to go back. And so you got to do the double check, meaning get off at the next exit. Go back, back on the freeway, go in the other way. Try Sometime, to get on the freeway when there's no one behind you, right. which is Sometimes hard. that's miles away. Yes. And then come around and do a double check. Right? Which is why one thing we interesting to discuss is that that's why we carry a kit in our car, in the back of our car. Our rescue 911 kit. Right. right? We have, so what do we have in there? We have a blanket. We have food. We have leashes. Uh, we have towels. We have gloves. We have a net. We do. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, uh, a little container for water and a host of other things that will allow us to rescue an animal. Right. So, okay. What's the first? What's the well, first kind? First, and we hope that the people listening to this will be like, "Oh my God, yes, yes. I totally relate to that." But let's start with our our first rescues, right? Because okay. I remember mine. I was 11 years old. I was walking home with my sisters from elementary school. I was in the sixth grade, and we were walking by this apartment building and could hear meowing underneath the building, you know, where you go down into the parking lot. The parking the lot The carport is, area. Yeah, the, the yeah. parking lot is under the apartments and the apartments are above, are above and you right. drive down. And we were look, frantically looking for this meowing sound. And above the parking spots, there's those uh, cabinets. In the, yeah, like you, every the, each car is assigned like a locker type thing. Yeah, right? yeah, and so we could hear that the meowing was coming from one of these cabinets. So we broke open the lock and we opened it up and we found what was a tiny little kitten and wow. named we ended you up didn't naming know that she the, was a girl. the kitten Guido right because as an 11 year old i thought it was a boy and as an 11 year old boy it never occurred to me to look and i'm not even sure i would have known what to look for <laughs> oddly so right. we named the kitten Guido and Guido turned out to be a girl and uh, not only was she my first rescue but uh she was the cat that lived with me the longest. She finished elementary school with me, uh, went through junior high school and high school, and then she moved with me to go to law school, and she was there when I met you. Yeah, and I mean, I knew Guido. Even both of our kids met Guido. She lived both, that long, in fact, right? Uh, yeah. Towards the end of her life, we yeah, started we calling Ithaca her Beats, and, yeah. remember? Because Riley, yeah, couldn't, Riley pr- couldn't pronounce. Our daughter couldn't pronounce. So many of our cats are named for our daughter's mispronunciation yes, of their so names. Yeah, Guido so became Beats. Right. And uh, and then she moved with us from California to New, to York, New York when I took yeah. over she, running the shelter she, there. And she died in my arms 24 years after I found her. So yeah. she was my first rescue. Very, very sweet cat. And interesting just to note that you were one of those lucky kids that you could find a pet and bring them home and you had a great mom who would have so, said like... Yeah, so my mom was... Oh, pobrecito. Yes, my mom <laughs> was I, one of the original cat ladies of the neighborhood. So long before we knew about have a heart traps or box, humane box traps to cat... Uh, trap cats or even had the the term feral cat or even community cat she was the woman who always fed the neighborhood strays and so we could always bring animals you could home. count on her yeah yeah and that, I, I was lucky that way too yeah yeah and that's 
also what we, you and I try to instill in our own kids. Exactly. And, and we'll tell some stories about that later. About like, the animals, animals they, they brought, brought home, home over the years. For us, it was usually, right? Dogs or cats, right? Right. But for our, them, it's wow. Wow. The whole menagerie <laughs> of the animal kingdom came to live exactly, with us because of right. our kids. Uh, so what was your first rescue? Well, I, I I think that my first rescue is probably related to my dawning awareness that I was an animal advocate. So I don't know if my first animal story is necessarily a rescue. I mean, I suppose you could, could think of it that way. But it was more of a like me taking a, a stand regarding animals. And that was sort of a defining moment for me. I think I was probably about 10, 9 or 10 years old. And my family had decided to go on a, a vacation to Lake Shasta. And we weren't a uh, going to water kind of vacation family, you know. So this was sort of, un- we had never done anything like this before. My parents rented a houseboat and it was so fun. And I remember we, we went water skiing and we went swimming and we were driving that boat everywhere. It was just so great. But my dad decided, trying to give us the full experience, that we would we would do fishing. And the whole thing was very uncomfortable for me. So my dad had bought all these supplies and we were going to go fishing. And that meant that we had to put worms on hooks. And we didn't we weren't going to eat these fish, but we were going to catch them and then release them. And that just seemed to me, the more I thought about it, problematic because like you're lifting an animal out of the water by a hook and it just, the whole thing made me uncomfortable. And so I remember I was laying in bed that night and we were going to go fishing the next morning and I had a crisis of conscience and I I remember waking up my brother and sister and, and laying out my case and rallying them to my cause and they were totally on team no fishing, right? So the next morning, and all three of you, all three of became us, be- became Ve- vegan. Yeah, right? we're all three vegan now. Not, right? not then, but not eventually. Then, but right, so we figured maybe it out. That's where the seeds yes. were. And I remember my dad that morning. It was time to go fishing, and my dad's and we had made this announcement. No, it's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. And my dad starts moving towards the bait because he's going to do it. And I panicked and I was like, okay, I have to stop this, right? So I ran over and I sat on the, the cooler. And, and I, the worms were inside the, the worms cooler. were inside the cooler, right? The the worms were in the cooler. The, it was like a tackle box, like right? A, like a, well, no, you know, like, oh, like, an like igloo. a very 1970s yeah, like an igloo. igloo cooler. Yeah, 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 one of those. So I sat on it and I grabbed the handles and I would not move. And the next 15, 20 minutes, I don't know, remember how long it was, but my dad engaged, we engaged in a heated debate and I would not move. Now, I think this was right about the time that I read Charlotte's Web, which was a book that had such a profound impact on me as a child. Well, which part specifically? The part where uh, Mr. Arabelle is going to go out and kill the piglet and Fern gets wind of what's going on. And there's actually a great illustration in the first edition of that book where she runs out to stop her dad and she reaches up and grabs the axe that are that's in his in yes, his hand and she he's and she's got it holding in his hand the axe. And he's holding it up yes and so i i think the timing is not it's incidental, a, incidental yeah. that that i did this that summer and so i i pulled a fern who still to this day is like my all-time favorite literary hero I don't know that I'd ever seen anyone engaging in any kind of act of civil disobedience, but clearly that's what this was. It was the first time I ever did it. And I... The first of many. The talk. first... <laughs> right. <laughs> and my dad and I went round and round. And, and as you would know, it would become a pattern in our life. Finally, my dad would like... Yes. Oh, fine. Oh, fine. And 
sweet man and my mom like always so great about animal stuff argued but always threw in the towel. always threw in the towel eventually and just went along with it with great with yes just the, rolled with the punches roll with the punches great yes. people anyway but the thing that my dad said to me now like it was both hilarious and i really appreciate now how funny it was but completely prophetic which is Guitar had worn him down. He was completely done arguing. And so my dad looked down at me, worn out, and he said to me, Jennifer, do you know what you are? You are a zealot. Do you know what that means? And I, being nine, ten years old, of course, had no idea what being a zealot is. And I thought he was about to tell me. And he said to me, it means your life is going to be very hard. And oh, my God, right? Like, hilarious. Like, the wit. But, um he was right <laughs> he, he actually he actually said something similar to me uh when we got married remember i used to work at a corporate law firm in san francisco and had a ginormous window with a bay bridge view and yeah. was oh, working yeah, at the DA's is... <laughs> office and then quit that to go work at, at an animal shelter in san francisco and then left that to go work at an even smaller shelter in rural New York, and he said to me, you are the only person that I've ever met whose goal in life seems to be smaller and smaller <laughs> offices and smaller and smaller paychecks. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> prophetic. Prophetic. And right? I mean, biting, <laughs> hilarious, but prophetic. Exactly. Okay, so besides the category, my first rescue, what other categories of rescue are there? Okay, well, the first one we're going to talk about is wrong turn rescue. Oh, yes. We've, we've <laughs> so, had plenty of those. Right. So this is where, and it's taught us over over time, like, uh-oh, we just made a wrong turn, and, or uh-oh, we're lost. Be prepared. Batten down the hatches. We're going to find an animal. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say neither of us believe in things like fate or providence. Yeah, right? we're not. But, we're, but there's something spooky <laughs> about taking a wrong turn when it's you and I in the car. So I had a meeting at Oakland Airport, and I didn't want to go alone. And yeah, I so asked I went you if with you would come with right. me. And then I had had the meeting, and you and I were leaving. And as usually happens, we were chatting because we're chatterboxes right. in the car, constantly talking. And I had the GPS that was directing us home, and GPS told me to turn left and I missed the turn because I was busy. You and I were talking busy to talking. Me. And so it redirected us and it told me to make another left. But you knew the area. Yeah. Well, I knew the I, I knew the area, but you didn't believe that I knew the yes, area. Yes. And you told me to turn right. And I told you to turn right. And so I was like, <laughs> so I, had you were this stuck. Little, I was, had this crisis, right? A GPS is telling me to turn left. You're telling me to turn right. I kind of want to listen to GPS, but, <laughs> but if I don't listen to you, they'll... like the GPS won't care yes. if you don't listen to her. And if I don't right? listen to you, but, they'll right. be held to pay. So you just you you uh, what's the you, I froze. you split the baby and I you panicked went and, I and just you went, went straight. straight right. And when you and I take a wrong turn, yeah. it's in, it's, it's inevitable. inevitable. Almost always. That's well, we... I mean. Frequently. That's when we saw the little dog. Yeah. So this little dog was running and we were like, oh God. And so started following the dog. Yes. Yeah, so we, the dog and we, take us. we didn't want to get too close because we didn't want to chase him into traffic. But we yeah, were, so we we're following because, this dog. Because that's how, yeah, you got to be careful about that. And this little dog knew we were following right. him because he was annoyed. He kept turning back to see if we were still there and 
kind of as we got closer, he got a little bit faster. Right. So that actually is an interesting interesting thing to point out that that that's the kind of rescue where you think you're doing a rescue, but like with this particular dog, which led to this dog led us to an actual rescue. Right. But this dog had our number. He was out for a leisurely stroll. In his own neighborhood, In his own neighborhood. And here come the Good Samaritans. And these are the dogs you think you rescue and you end up taking them away from their home, right? Right, exactly. Because they're not actually lost. And so this little dog running away and having our number totally reminds me of like one of my favorite all-time cartoons. I think it's a Bizarro cartoon. Oh, you're thinking of Gary Larson. It's the far side. No, no, it's Bizarro. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes. So it's like, it's these one pigeon... They're on the street. And it's one, a squirrel. One pigeon. No. It's yes, a, they're squirrels. No, they're, they're two pigeons. Little squirrels. No. So you think it's a squirrel far side cartoon, but it is a bizarro and pigeons. Okay, well, okay, well we'll check. One of them is talking one to the talking other. To, one of the pigeons is talking to the other pigeon. Well, saying, there's this lady coming, right? <laughs> and the pigeon says to the other pigeon, stop limping or that lady's going to stick you in her bathroom for two weeks. Yes. <laughs> that That's like that little dog thinking he was going to spend two weeks right, in exactly. her bathroom. And there's two things with that because it's happened before. I mean, you right. kind of still follow those dogs to make sure they You go, make sure they get home, they right? They go home. And you know you're annoying them. But I've gone to the dog's house and I have been yelled at by the dog's person for annoying their dog who's out for a walk. So So we follow the dog towards a house and there happened to be someone across the street who was working on their lawn and we asked him if he knew where the dog lived and he said, yes, he lives there. So we make sure he went behind his gate, closed the gate, and then went on our happy way with what we thought was the end of the rescue, the wrong turn rescue, right? We're off the hook. We can go resume our prior Converse, plans, yeah, right? And, we and were then conversing, and I look over and I see a cat lying in the sidewalk, right? Yeah, upside down, upside down. And just he did to, not look like he was alive. But yeah, he, but, but he just was. to make sure, I asked. We I pulled over and asked you to go look at him, and that's when his little eye looked up at you. Right. So we scooped him up and we took him to the vet. Right. Yeah. So, so that's a wrong turn rescue, but and it did honestly, it felt, it, it did feel like that dog was sort of like. Divine. A <laughs> yeah. divine messenger. Like, I mean, I hate talking that way. But no, I know. Yeah. But he was a little angel who, yeah, who led like, us he, to, yeah. to the rescue. We were so, we thought we, we were rescuing, rescuing him. him. He was having us rescue, rescue this Walter, little kitty the, that, Walter Kitty. Walter Kitty that we yes. named him, yeah. But he's not the only wrong-term rescue uh, that we've done, which is why it feels like fate. We actually had a wrong-term rescue when we decided to go to Hawaii. Right. We were on um, the island of Kauai and there is, it's like the most beautiful island. There's like yes, all kinds of things to see there. it was our first vacation in so many years. Yeah. We hadn't gone on vacation in many, many years, I don't yeah. think. And, and so we were on Kauai and we were going to go. day one, we took a wrong turn. Yeah. We took a wrong turn. We were going to, I think we were looking for some mythic. Uh, a waterfall. Like, Right. Yeah, very yeah, very famous, beautiful waterfall that, that you had to hike to. Yeah, so we were gonna go on so a we were hike. We're gonna first find the place, park the car, then do this and, hike. And I think Okay. Anyway, we were in the car, we, we took a wrong turn. turn. Because it probably was probably because we were talking, right? Yeah, probably. Over each other and not right. paying attention. Right. And it got in we knew because it started to get more and more the road started to get narrower and more dirtish. Right. Yeah, like I don't like, actually think we were on a road. Oh <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, I don't know. It I didn't look like anybody should have been there, but Right. Then we saw a little cat cross the road yes, in the middle but, of nowhere. So in the middle of nowhere, a cat crossing the road very, very, very slowly. And do you like, remember what I said to you? Yes, you said, go get that cat. You ought to get that cat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I remember like looking back now because she did turn out to be pretty feral 
initially she tamed and was the sweetest sweetest most friendly cat in the world but in the beginning she was very feral but she was so sick that do you remember we put her on the dashboard and she just sat there. she just sat there yeah and she was tiny yeah what we thought Lap. was a tiny kitten yeah she didn't seem to want to be in my lap like i think right. that made her uncomfortable but she i mean how weird is that now yeah, you, you know, set her if on you the know dashboard cats, like, she just sat she just there. sat there so we're like and there's we, something wrong with this we turned cat. around and we found a local veterinarian who asked us what her name was and we explained she we didn't, didn't have a know. name she not, we because a name. we're not from her we were yeah tourists. we just found we this cat this right cat. And, and so we said uh how do you say black cat in hawaiian and, and he, he said, said ale ale popoki right so, so she that was became her name popoki yeah that was her name well and we yeah we just called her po- then it just became pokey full grown even though she yeah, looked tiny she was and really weighed tiny, very and malnourished little. And he and su- she was sick. Yes, and he suggested there was little we can do for her, and we ought to put her down. Yes, so and of course <laughs> to Winograd's them's fighting words. Yeah, exactly. We were like, well, no, that won't be happening. What, yes. What's what is Plan B? Right, <laughs> right. I'm sure he looked at us and he thought, well, this nice couple's on vacation. They're not going to want to deal with this sickly sick cat. cat. But he didn't yeah, know us, and we did, us. and, and we did. she went into our spare bathroom. Yes, luckily, condo. luckily, my, we were staying at my parents' condo in Kauai, and they had a spare bathroom, so she spent the night, well, and we were there probably just like five or six days, spent the rest of the time in the bathroom. Getting, getting the care she needs. Getting her medications. Before we, getting a good meal. Yes. As much as she wanted to before eat. Before we flew her home back to the mainland, and she lived with us for like 15 years. Yeah, she did, and she, it, she didn't, it didn't take long before she came out of her little shell you know she was very very sweet recently we've been doing some um, rearranging of our house because we're empty nesters now and I found in Will's closet a little box that had her some fur and her her collar and some things in there that Will had put in there and he had written on the box a sweet old girl oh that's so sweet yeah she was such a sweet kitty anyway uh so but Popoki was not the only so you think you're going on vacation rescue. Yes. In fact, the next one was actually also, uh, also in, Hawaii. in Hawaii. And we went with my parents that yeah, time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now we had our daughter. She was she about was four. three or four. Yeah, yeah. three. You're right. Three. And we were going, we went on vacation with Riley and your parents. And we land at the airport on Kauai. And we're driving all together to our favorite restaurant. Uh, postcards. Postcards. They in, had vegan on food. On Hanalei. From the right. song, um, the Puff the Magic, Puff Dragon. The Magic Dragon song. Yeah, so we're great drive, driving to Hanalei, and, and we are going to tell them at that the I'm pregnant that and that they're going to have another grandkid. And uh, we are driving there. Is it, was, it, was it the first day we got there? It was the first day uh, we got there. And we were going to be there like, what, four or five, five, five days maybe? A week, yeah. yeah. Close to a week. And we see a really skinny dog running down the road, right? And we're like, oh, God. And <laughs> your dad was driving. And we're like, pull over. We just saw a dog. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, pull over. <laughs> so he pulls over. And we're chasing this dog. And he's looking behind us. But he's super fast. I mean, this is a dog who was so skinny. Clearly, he had been on his own for a while. And, and knew the game, right? right? And so I walked over. There were these two or three teenage girls, and Henry. Well, we didn't know. We his didn't name know his was name Henry, was Henry. But then. This little black dog. He hadn't told us yet. And so I asked the girls, uh, "Do you know that dog that just ran by?" And they said, "Yes." They so okay. And then they said the most heartbreaking thing in the there world. There were a bank of three little phone booths. Yes, that, uh, this know, was the, the day when there were booths. still phone, phone booths. booths. <laughs> right, and so they were like the open kind, not the kind that were covered, but yeah, just they're the... on poles and they're like these little hobbles mm-hmm. with phones inside. And there were three of them, and there was this. 
kind of sad light, light that on shone on it. And there was dirt underneath and it was kind of in the middle of nowhere near the road. And she said, he sleeps, sleeps in the there. dirt under those phones every night. Oh. Okay. Just crushing me, <laughs> right. you know, like on the ground, on the puddle crying, you know. Like, <laughs> We decided we're going to get this dog. dog. We're going to get this dog. Right. And so we had all these plans with your parents. We were going to take a helicopter flight around the island. We were going to go for hikes. We were going to go on boats. We were going to do all these things. And you and I spent the entire week trying to catch this dog. Every morning. We'd get in the car, the rental car. We'd say, here's your granddaughter. Luckily, I mean, we had a built-in babysitter. Right. So they watched Riley. Right. While we went to look for this dog. Henry. And Henry. We, we spent the whole week, and we couldn't get Henry. We and, didn't get him, but. Right. I I was. We, we just couldn't catch him. I don't remember. What did we. we he was he so He was so, fast. so afraid yeah, and, and so scared. So, and so We knew we'd smart. need a big. Um, a trap to right. get him. And so I had reached out to the local Humane Society and I met the director and asked her to trap Henry for us and ship him to the mainland, which she ultimately did. However, your dad was none too pleased yes. that this well planned, because your dad wanted to do things all the time, right? So yeah, it was great. My dad... He always will, planned... Yes itinerary so yes. every day like in a binder with right he was very organized and, didn't he? and he had this whole week planned yeah, it was for so us, sweet and we did we none did, of it <laughs> but i do you know to our okay the one thing about you could say about both my parents is that they always more or less rolled with the punches i mean they were used to you and i throwing wrenches in the works whether it was what we were going to eat on thanksgiving vegan yes. or uh you know, any plan that could change on a dime because of something animal related. Right. So they he, and they were always very well. This time he was a little annoyed. Do you remember? What I, he I, said? You really can't blame him. I mean, I mean a little but bit. Do you but remember then he what he said, said? Well, yeah. But so this was the second time in Hawaii where we had rescued an animal, and he said to us, "I am never going on vacation with you guys again." Right. right. And or right, yeah. and we were like, "Well, we're never going to Hawaii again." We're I never mean, going on vacation, no, anyways, because every time we, we try to go on vacation, we end up happens. with another animal. Right. Yeah. So that's the. So you think you're going on vacation? Yes. Yeah, so we decided to scale back our plans. We decided to take a day off and yeah. go wine tasting in Napa, which was an hour away from where we lived. Right. Exactly. And yeah. So we live in the Bay Area. Like, so. Okay. And we just decided, let's spend the day wine tasting. Right. We were going right? to have a nice... Because, you know, we lived right... We lived right near An hour from the wine Napa, country, but we right? almost never went. Never and this went. Time we were, and we were always going to go. And so finally we were like, let's, we researched which wineries were vegan. Right. And we were going to go do some wine tasting. Spend the day, just a leisurely day. You could take a bus cruise where they take you to the different wineries. Right. We knew which ones were vegan. We were going to have a picnic and we were going to just sip on wine and enjoy the day. And we're heading up to Napa and driving along. Minding our own business. And then this pit bull, pit bull covered in mange, dragging, dragging like a, a logging chain, <laughs> goes running down the road, right? That's not funny, but I mean, it couldn't have been literally just that the dog had mange. He was dragging. Lit- it was like this lo- insane this chain. chain. It was awful. And covered in mange. We looked at each the other. Yes. We were like, okay, well, anyway. So we just literally... Pulled over. The dog came running down. He was very sweet. She was very she sweet. She was very turned sweet. Turned out to be a sheet. Yes. Uh, we named her Daisy. Daisy. And she got in the car and we turned around and drove her down back to our vet at the time. Right. And uh, 
treated the mange and um, yeah she yeah. was great we had her probably a couple months maybe how did we how, yeah we we actually found her uh, we, yeah uh, we just found a, a home. lovely home it was a little tenuous for the first 10 minutes right because so we we but, got this they wanted they were looking for a, a dog, dog and, and she and was a great dog we had very a picture friendly. of her she was so cute she was this young little pit bull but as soon as she got, she got there she their... met their pet bird <laughs> they introduced her to the bird and daisy mouthed her let's well, just but like Tried to swallow her. <laughs> you know, the, the bird. That's not funny either. No, I know, like, but, you know, but because it, it happy okay. ending, so they opened her jaw and pulled the pulled bird out, the out bird. and they never had another problem with her again. Right, they, they just, just kept them separate. Yeah. But yeah, Daisy wanted to eat so, their pet Daisy, bird. So, but Daisy turned out to be a real sweetheart. And have we ever gone back to Napa? That was like twenty-two years no. ago, and I don't think we've ever, ever gone back. Gone back. That's just, and we'll regret yeah. that someday. There's, yeah. So anyway, that that was our. So you think you're going on vacation? rescues and then there's then there's the oh you're you're running late rescue yes which yes. is like you know the other ones are you think you're going to have this leisurely day or this leisurely vacation this is when you're not expecting leisure and you are already stressed out yeah, because you're, you're running, running late, late and you have to be somewhere or you, you have to be somewhere yeah. you you don't you haven't factored in rescue time which right. probably because you don't we expect should, it right be, which is naive that right. you don't expect it so the, the, the you're running late is how we got our pigeon commander so i'm driving to pick up our daughter so we live in oakland in the bay area and i'm driving to pick up our, our daughter from a class she was taking in san francisco and she was kind of young at the time so i didn't want to leave her hanging and I'm driving down the the street, to, about to get on the freeway, and I see the a dreaded flash. the dreaded peripheral vision. Your brain saying there's something over there, <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. What what this gray lump in the gutter that I saw was. So I did the double check where I drove around the the neighbor around the block and came back, and lo and behold, yes, he was a pigeon sitting well, in the gutter. So- what happened was you came back and the lump was gone, and that's a bad sign. Oh, right! It, I don't remember that yeah, the lump was the gone. We mean sign, the lump had moved. Mean the lump, meaning the lump was alive. Yeah. So <laughs> the good sign is when the lump is still there, and the lump is a crumbled piece of paper right. or, or an, some clothing or an old shoe. Yeah. Or, Pigeon, I think maybe yeah. I thought hope he was crumpled newspaper, the right. gray and the but white. But the lump was gone, which is the a bad sign because if the lump moves, the lump that is was, an animal, <laughs> right? The lump is conscious. Yeah. I, it's not bad news. It's good news because you know. Well, you, you'd be you, you can do a rescue. Yeah, right? but it'd be easier if he was. If there wasn't an animal in need of rescue and Correct. suffering, right? So anyway, he was his pigeon, and he was dragging a wing, like a, a low hanging wing, and um, I didn't have anything to get him in to put him in a box. So I went into a barber shop around the corner, and they gave me a box and it, a towel. And a towel. They thought I was crazy. I said, there's this pigeon over there. And they were like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Just take the box, take the towel, and get out of here, lady. <laughs> right. And uh, so we got him. And I think we – did we mention him in the on our last in our last uh, conversation? I, I don't know. But the I interesting thing about Commander is that we had rescued pigeons our, ever since yes, we that's met, a, right? Yes, this is an interesting story. And in terms of- we had always been naive. We would take them to wildlife rehabbers. And as given our experience with – in the no-kill movement that shelters and humane societies are not necessarily humane. You don't just rescue an animal off the street, take them to your local humane society without doing the research necessary as to whether the humane society is humane, meaning no-kill, right? Right. And so we began to wonder. Yeah, no, I remember. So I picked up Riley. I came home. I dropped him at the the vet hospital that did wildlife rehab near us. They were in, worked in conjunction with a wildlife rehabber. And I remember saying to you, wait a minute. 
Like, how do, how we, do know, we know that these wildlife what if rehabbers... that wing can't get fixed, right? right? And, and you were, I actually remember feeling really naive, like suddenly, like, what have we been doing? Like right. giving these pigeons to these groups, like we really got to follow up. So, because if, if they can fix them, usually they'll fix them up and let them go. And then but actually, what if there was this no... particular one that we had used, when they fix them, they call you and have you go back and release to the them. spot where you found them and release them. And in, occasionally that's been a joyous experience, right? Uh, and so we asked. So I asked had... what's going on and they said, well, he's, he's got a broken wing and he's just a pigeon. Yes. And if he cannot be released... If he cannot fly, we kill him. Actually, I th- right, but I don't. I think that they were on the fence as to whether or not they would invest in the kind of surgery that he needed at that point as well, right? right. Because he, it was kind of his wing was sort of really messed up, right? And and he was quote unquote to them just a pigeon, correct? Right. And so they, I panic, panic set in, and they didn't want to return him. Yeah, I got to get this bird right. back. Like I, well, oh my god, I right. got to get this bird back, and so we kind of. Well, that was I, tense. Yeah, and I pulled the attorney card and said, you will give us this pigeon. And I quoted the law to them. And they, and remember, they had people call us telling us that uh, this pigeon wouldn't want to be alive if, yes. if, if he couldn't fly. Yeah, And, uh, and, and uh, we oh. responded, so you mean if we literally like this pigeon would want to commit suicide? You're right. telling us if the pigeon had the opportunity, he would you know, OD on pills if he could, right? <laughs> Which is ludicrous. Especially, you know, given that everything that this this bird was doing, how running away from me, everything indicated that he... Hiding behind a I tire mean, it's obvious. of a car, he trying to stay alive. Right? Yeah, he was trying to stay right. alive. And somehow they're trying to sell us on this idea that killing him is doing him a favor. Right. And of course, given our work in the no-kill movement and all our all our effort we to heard, overturn all these ridiculous right. we heard ideas. We the same dogmas. The same dogmas. That we had, had been challenged spending. and overcome in sheltering for 20 years, right? Exactly. Killing is kindness. So, so anyways. So we got the bird back. And, well, we, and, did, we did the surgery on the bird to so, try to repair the wing. Right. And we actually thought it might be successful. And then the vet... Said, After I'm just, the surgery, I'm just going to gently toss him in the air and he's going to fly. Right. So we did talk about this yes. and he and just he plopped back down, plopped down okay. onto the little couch in the in right. that room. Right. And we were like, okay, well, we have a pigeon. Right. And we've had a pigeon for 10 years and he is a happy bird and lives on our couch. Yes. Now he, I think in the other podcast, we talked about how he lived on a Navy air in it. But right. then since then he's moved in uh, to the house because for a little while we didn't have any other pigeons that he could have companionship with because the one that we had adopted from a pigeon rescue group, Eileen, died. Yeah. And well, so, she lived with us for uh, yeah, a she, number of years. number of years, and then she died. And yeah. so then we brought – we were like, okay, Commander's going to hang out with us. Yes. We have a bird cage behind our couch. We have a really big couch like because for the yeah, whole family. Yeah, we noticed the other yeah, day this I was is a like, God, that is a huge couch. couch. Yeah, but it's we have really, kids, and they yeah. have their – Girlfriends and boyfriends come yeah, over. Yeah, so it, you need, we need a And we couch. have a dog. Dog comes yeah. on the couch and we have a cat, a cat and the right. pigeon. Yeah. Actually, a, now multiple pigeons. It's a but great, huge sectional couch. He walks couch. around the back so we of have the couch towels. packs on the back of our head while we're yeah, trying to Yeah, along the TV. edge because – and he's great. He's very friendly. And happy. And, and happy. Yeah, I mean, he was really scared when we first got him, but, but he, he, came, he was tamed. Feral, he was tamed. You know? Right. Yeah, he was wild. Okay, and now we have – but that, that leads us to other rescue. So we have two other pigeons now. We have had two. Yes, which we learned about pigeons and we... So we have two pigeons now. We have... Right. So we've rescued four total and... 
Well, if you count Mon- Monty. Oh, Monty was released. Yeah. yeah so Monty's one of our pigeon rescues that right. actually we re-released him. And it made me think about how you said that it's, it was a joyous occasion. But, but do you remember when we – that was very anticlimactic. Yes, very anticlimactic. Because I had, I had this fantasy that we would take him back. Well, we found this pigeon and he – what was wrong with him? I think he had a, his foot was messed up. I don't remember, but he was easy to catch. So that – was a yeah. sign. And we and, and nursed we, him back. To, yeah, it was we his put foot. him in he our had aviary. Foot, I think. And we, fixed we that. put him in the, our aviary, and he had all the seeds and pigeon food he, he wanted. He could fly. And he could fly. And I think what happened was when we thought we were doing him a favor by releasing him back into the wild, fly be free. And I think he thought, well, I had a great aviary, <laughs> all the food I could eat and other pigeons, right. right? Yeah. And I don't have to look for, I don't have to eat the stepped on French fry or go think I'm finding a French fry, but it turns out to be a Because he lived, sub. we found him in front of a, uh, where there were a lot of pigeons, we found him in front of a, like a, a coffee, coffee shop. shop that yeah. served pastries. Anyways, so when we went to release him. He didn't even, we thought, oh, you know, it was going to be like, we were going to hear that song and, from Born Free. And there's going to be fireworks <laughs> and everyone's, it's going to be joyous. He, he didn't even he didn't want, want to go. go. Yeah. yeah. He just kind of sat on the sidewalk like, and stared at us. We just, like, and we're like, should we take, should we him, take back? him back? But when we tried to get him, he flew, he flew away. on top of And then we sat and watched him standing on the roof looking around for a while. We're like, you have to recognize where you are, buddy. And then he flew off. And then he flew off. So, yes. We had that happen again when, remember when we, we I don't know what we were thinking, but we saved a uh, banana slug. Do you remember like a stepped on banana slug and we brought him home and we rehabilitated him for a number of weeks. And again, I had this fantasy that we were going to release him what's... and he was going to. Okay. Well, what could you possibly think a banana slug was going to do? That would be dramatic. Okay. <laughs> I thought he was going to. I I thought he was going to slither to freedom, but we set him mean. down near a stream and where there were other bananas. Surprise! Slugs. He behaved like a banana he slug. He just sat, sat <laughs> well, there, and for, we sat there staring at him for like two minutes, and then we all kind of looked. The <laughs> kids were, were like... there. We all kind of looked at each other, and I we said, "Okay, I guess that's the rescue." And we just kind of kind of walked away. Walked away. Okay. Yeah, anyways, I don't even remember that one. But let's talk about another rescue of where you're running late, where I was headed to court. Oh, yes. And I could not be late. And there was terrible traffic on the freeway. So we said, let's take the streets. Yes. Right? And I knew that. I, You know, honestly, I was like, oh, God, you really? You want to go on the streets? It was bumper to bumper Because I was thinking this would happen. And this was a court case where I was getting sued. You were getting sued. By PETA. By PETA. And my attorney said, don't be late. Don't be late. Yes. And so we decided, I said, just Okay, but I mean, uh, like- so for those of us who aren't familiar with who, who the work that we do and who we are, you dropping the bomb on you being sued by PETA is quite the, what should we say, Google it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I had for years been exposing- We assure you we are on the right yes, side of history. For years been exposing that the killing that they do. Right. And the, after they killed, after they stole and killed this little dog named Maya, which will be a podcast for another day. Yes, we will because, talk about this. Because Maya's anniversary, the killing of- Is coming up. Maya's coming up and we'll, we'll do something related to that. But nonetheless, ended up writing a series of articles about Maya's killing and it led to a, a book, Why PETA Kills. One of the thousands of animals they kill every year. Right. And PETA sued me to try to get the names of my confidential informants within PETA. So PETA employees that have have, have com- come, come forward, forward and said, this is what's going on. Yeah. And uh, nonetheless, the- So they wanted to know the names of these of the people. And you had, you had and promised them that you right. would not ever give their names away because- Because they feared retribution. So yeah. 
my attorney said, you're facing jail right. if you don't reveal the sources. Right. And so I said, oh, I'm never going to reveal the sources. And so we were going to argue uh, that I had a First Amendment right to protect the anonymity of my sources, just like any other journalist. And so heading to court for a hearing, bumper to bumper traffic on the freeway, I, I say, take the streets because you're driving because I'm going to jump out of the car and run, run up to into the courthouse. Court right? And I'm right. dressed nicely. I've yeah, got your a suit on. suit on, white shirt tie yeah. and we're driving down the street and I look over and I see a dead dog on the side of the road. And I didn't see him. In the I remember you saying, okay, pull over. I got to do a double check. Yes. <laughs> and, and I was I, like, oh, what are you talking about? I didn't but, see. Thank um, God you saw him. Yeah. And I said, pull over. I just saw a dead dog on the side of the road hit by car, but I want to go check. And so uh, I go back and the little eye looks up at me. Right. He was alive. He was alive. In the gutter, not moving. Yes. And he was all matted up. And and I nice. was scooped him up. And you he, came and got my jacket. No, I took at off first him. I scooped oh, yeah, and he scoop bit him you. and he bit me. Yeah, because he was in pain. In pain probably. and scared. Yeah. And then I got your jacket. And, and we wrapped him up. We wrapped him up and I carried him, hugging him to my chest, stomach. And we took him to an emergency vet. Found the, the nearest vet, dropped right. him off. You dropped me and, and the dog off, and then you took the car to court. Yes, and, and was late, and I was covered in blood. <laughs> and my, my attorney said, what happened to you? And I, I said, said, I found a dog on the side of the road, and I had to take him to the emergency vet. And he, and said, he said, of, of course, course you, you did. did. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, and well, so the, he's a very happy ending because yes. he, the way he was laying – the fact that he bit you seemed like maybe he was in so much pain. The fact he was matted, he just looked. He was clearly homeless because he was totally, totally matted. Homeless. He had had a prior injury where the vet thought he had been hit by a car before yeah. and it healed poorly. Right. And he had, so this time he only had a fractured hip. Yes. We thought he was probably trash. But we rehabilitated him. I mean, there's two things. First of all. Well, there's three things there. The good news is we ended up winning the lawsuit, right? Right. So that's yes. great news. You got an interesting, that is such an interesting story. Yeah. The we Center for uh, the Reporters, Reporters Committee, Committee for, for Freedom, of, freedom the press of the Press and the Press Freedom Defense Fund represent, gave, gave us Hayden, CNN's a attorney, CNN's attorney to represent us. And we broke new First Amendment ground extending what's called the the reporter's shield privilege. So if you work for, say, the New York Times or CNN, you don't have to reveal your confidential sources, right? You have what's called the reporter's shield privilege in order to encourage people to come forward and be whistleblowers. That law has never been extended to what's called non-traditional media, bloggers, uh, people who post on social media, people who don't get paid by, say, a newspaper or a TV station. So we argued that it should extend to not It absolutely, because there's so media. many people doing that's that now. Growing, it's a right? huge news source And for, for the first time ever, a court agreed. So not only did we win the lawsuit, not only did we protect the confidential informants, not only did I keep my word, not only did I not have to go to jail, which I was prepared to do, but also we found Ralph. Yes, we found Ralph. Right? And thankfully it was us and not Peter We were like, oh, thank Ralph. God. Like, what if Peter's attorney was going this yeah, way too? Yeah, because they would have killed him, right? Oh, absolutely. Because that's what Peter does. So yes. anyways, and we found Ralph oh, just so And then home. we got him home and he came out of his shell. And yes. he, he was 
I don't. He didn't even act like he was injured then. He, he just, was friendly. I mean, he's uh, the kind he of dog that they I, told that us dog, to, uh, to limit activity, right? And it was but so he was hard. wild. He was a puppy. He was, was actually really young. Yeah. Oh, he was Anyways. so cute. And we found him a wonderful home with a family not too far away from us. A, a mom. She takes him. She goes She's running with him. Two little girls. And, she, and Ralph walks the little girls to school and yes. back every day. Yes. Yeah. And Great and uh, yeah, he's adored and uh, such a happy ending. Yeah, so that's your so that's the so you're running late rescue. Yes. So Never. anyways, that takes us to another category. What's the next category of rescue? Do, 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 what is the Mission Impossible theme? Dun 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 The Mission Impossible Rescue. Yes, and the Mission Impossible If should you choose to accept it. And we always always do. Is uh, accepted are the so. ones that are um, logistically very very, very difficult. difficult. Yeah. yeah, like uh, so you were working at a recycle. No, you used to work. I used at- to work at a recycling center in San Francisco, and it was like an old warehouse. And I made a lot of good friends when I worked there, and kept in touch with them. And and, when- and actually, it used to be some kind of bank or something because there was an yeah, old it was weird abandoned it was, bank vault. There was a bank vault in this with, old building. Like, you know, like the reinforced steel with the giant, uh, what is it called? The, Combination. Oh, yeah, seriously. Ser- no, this literally the, is Mission Impossible. The big handle, <laughs> like you would see in a 1950s bank robbery. Bank robbery movie. or a cartoon movie. about yeah. like Al Capone or yeah. something. And uh, do they have cartoons about it? No, I mean, like, a, like a, it's, it's, if you close your eyes and you imagine them, like a 1950s a cartoon, cartoon bank about ball. a bank. Yeah. Or... Yeah, I right. don't know why. This is I don't what think it Al Capone like, has But nobody had the combination because it was a recycling center for years. Yeah, right? and I don't even think they knew it was there because I think it had been like walled over or yeah. something like that. So there but were they, a lot of uh, cats that lived in this recycling center. Feral cats, right? Feral cats, yeah. And you hadn't worked there in years, but they heard meowing in the wall. Yeah, and they kept hearing meowing and in the walls. And they called you. And they called me because they had called – didn't they call Animal Control and Animal Control refused to come out? No, so they had called you – and First, they called me. They called I was, you okay. because you used to do rescue yeah. when you were there. And, yeah, now they know. knew. Oh, call. Call Jennifer. Call Jennifer. And you called me because I was working at San Francisco at the time. I was in the city. Yeah, right? well, we were date. Well, we were together then. We lived together at the yeah. time, but and we so weren't married yet. You called me. I was like, dude, I got you. Got to go over to. There's a meow and kitten meow. down the down the road from where you are. Yeah, and so I went there and and I could hear the kitten behind the wall and. Did, figured out it was an old reinforced safe there was no way to bust through the wall and but somehow the safe was open on the the roof so the there ceiling. so i went into the attic and there were rafters right and it w- had been eaten through and i and it was s- a walk-in fault we should make yes, that point and i could I see that all that. the way down there was this sad little could you even see i don't think you could see till you I went have, in there you had a flashlight i, I got a flashlight and i Oh, you you shone it down into the hole. And there was this sad little, it was completely empty but dirty, but there was this sad little maybe one foot by one foot patch of carpet. Carpet. And there was a little gray kitten. kitten. Sitting on it. Gray kitten, yes. Sitting on it. Dark, dark, almost really dark colored kitten. Sitting on this patch. And I was like, holy crap, how do we get the kitten? So I called the professionals, San Francisco Animal Control, (laughs) to meet me there, right? And I said, I'm... You know, Nathan Winograd of the San Francisco SPCA, describe what happened. I need you to send a professional. Right, because you needed the equipment to be able to get down there. Because I was the SPCA's lawyer. (laughs) I was in a coat and tie. Right, right. And I needed someone who had the utility tool belt and could rappel down there. And lo and behold, animal control 
sends an officer, scopes out the situation and said, there's no way to get down there. I'm not getting down there because I'll never get up again. Yeah. So So what, what, so what? Of it course, can't be done. It can't That's be what done. he said. You were like, oh, man. Which, are, which for the Winograds. Throw down the gauntlet. Those are them's fighting them's words. Fighting words. Right? Plus, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're there's gonna a kitten down no? there. No. So anyway, so I'm like, I'm going down. So I. What did you get? I, so I it, hung on the rafter. Oh, my. I hung on the rafter and I'm like, I'm, a, I'm either going to break my legs <laughs> You didn't have rope or anything to rappel down? I didn't have rope to rappel down. I was I literally decided I was gonna hang on the rafters and that would bring me six or seven feet. And closer. then you would let go out. And then I would just let yeah. go. Yeah, and you weren't gonna fall on the kitten. I wasn't gonna fall on the kitten. He was in the he, corner he was on in that the corner. sad little piece of carpet. Okay. Uh, and so and, and what did you have I, I don't even remember. Do you have plans how you were gonna get out? I did not. And so But you I, worry about that later. I fell down. It's not like they're gonna leave you down there. Right. Right, exactly. So I got I fell down there. I let myself drop and I went and I picked up this little kitten and they we took a bag and string and you put a rope and they brought it down and I put them in the little bag and closed it up and they pulled them up and and then there I was and I can't remember what happened. I think they found rope and they pulled it down and a bunch of people helped pull me up. Yank you up. But it took it was like literally like I'm not suggesting I'm a Tom Cruise type. But it was <laughs> I was hanging, you know, like it yeah, was a it was kind a of a crazy. mission impossible right. Tom Cruise situation going, only just not as good looking. Uh but well, uh I beg to differ. Okay. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh anyway, beauty's in the eye. Of the beholder, but anyway, so we rescued the cat, the gray cat that didn't. And we, oh, we thought that yeah, was a gray cat. Yeah, we took him home, and you gave him a bath. Oh my! I remember, and I don't think you were there. I had the cat. Yeah. And you, went, I went back to work. Yeah, and I called I, you, we, I'm, and yeah. I'm like, "You're not gonna believe this. This cat is pure white. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was so dirty, yeah. and we, you couldn't even tell. Right. And then, um, you were also a board member of the Palo Alto Humane Society at the time, right? And uh, we sent out a press release, right, for the Humane Society announcing the rescue of this kitten. And pretty soon, we had news crews at our door. Yes, and hundreds of people wanting. Hundreds of people wanting. And. But we couldn't part with him. We couldn't. So we named him Tofu because he, he was white. And uh, and then his name changed to Bobo because our when daughter our daughter pronounce couldn't tofu. pronounce it, so she referred to him as Bobo. Bobo. So Bobo lived with us for just adorable decades. kitty. Yeah, yeah, for over a decade until he became an old man and died too. So so let's talk. Uh, so this is kind of an offshoot of the Mission Impossible Rescue because it involves a rescue of animals who it involves. Um, being able to having a special vision goggles that no you, one else seems to yes, have invisible animals. Right, you can see things that no one else can see and you're yes. like are you not seeing this people he must be invisible right because right? clearly if you could see, see what this, we're seeing then you wouldn't just be driving by or driving walking by. by you know what's interesting about this particular kind of rescue is that i don't think it exists anymore or to, well it used to exist yeah i mean it's less likely to happen yes. now because now we actually have seen more. where we see a loose animal and or all these people everybody's stop and everyone's fighting to be the rescuer right yeah, and no remember the i dog, saw him first no i saw him first. the dog in near alameda that we saw yes. that like five five people were yes, trying we to were figure out what this dog is rescue this oh dog. and that those dog like or those dogs that we saw like last year up on Skyline that you were reminding me about the other day, like 
that was unprecedented where I couldn't we get, didn't do it. Yeah, I we, couldn't get the dogs and I came back to get you to help me get the dogs. And when we went back, and we went there, else somebody was, else had them in their car. Yeah. Right? And so, that happens more and more. Like, yes. So, but this was 20 plus years ago, more than that, right? No, about, yeah, about 20 years ago, because we lived in San Rafael, which is where you and I first lived together, right? Yeah, exactly. So it was in the 90s, and this is when that didn't happen as often as it does now. Now it happens almost all the time. But back then, this is what we call rescue of invisible animals. Because <laughs> we're the only ones that can see them. We're clearly in need. And, and cars are driving, driving by, by, people are walking by, and nobody's stopping to render assistance. And this was uh, a dog that we ended up naming Amber Rose. Yeah, why did we, where did that name come from? Because uh, we found Amber Rose on, I think it was the intersection of Amber and Rose. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, and that's and, such a pretty name, too. Yeah, and so this was a dog who was literally hunched down, fearful, in the, the in the middle of the street, with cars zipping by in both directions, and nobody stopping. And we're driving along that road, and right in front of us, yeah, it's like, is a are dog you people not seeing this and situation? We brought, we brought traffic to a stop. Right. Can you not see this dog? Is this dog <laughs> invisible? So we ended up stopping traffic in both directions, but Amber was so fearful that she, she took off. the opportunity to run off and ran into a Oh, and then that doubled nursery. down on like our annoyance with people yes. at that time. So right? we were already annoyed that <laughs> yeah, all like, these people, people have been doing? going by this dog and ignoring right. the dog and ran into a nursery and in order like to, a plant nursery yeah with and, a, you know how they have a lot of um, plants outside and yes. so they often have gates to keep people out so that things don't get stolen in the at night and when we went when we she ran in there we closed the gate so that she couldn't couldn't get, get out. out so we could and grab the her owner said what the hell the are you doing we're his, like well we're just lost his we, stuff we just want to get this dog and we don't Can want you her just to run leave it and o- he wouldn't yeah he how said, dare you close yeah, my leave gate leave the gate open we're like, uh, come on anyways dude. We got her. We got Amber Rose. We, so. And we got her home. Yes. I think, I think was she lost or was she someone's dog? I can't even recall. She was lost and we found her we home. We found her home. Okay. And so another kind of rescue, and I'm sure that there's a lot of animal lovers out there that Rescuers can who have completely this. relate Identify, to this, yes. which is the, this is this what, is you, what you, you do, rescue, yes. which is where you're- Somebody per- else finds an somebody animal. Somebody else finds an animal. And, and then makes them your responsibility, right? right? Exactly. Like, so they can rescue the animal. They can keep the animal. But they're like, oh my God, I have this friend or this coworker. Who has 23 cats, two mice, we'll two call kids. That. This is what they do. They'll take the animal, right? Right, exactly. So we had this there. So this was when you were working in the DA's office. I was a in, prosecutor in, in Marin, Marin County. County. And the one of the deputies, actually one of my bosses, uh, rescued i put that in quotes this cat who something happened to the cat because the cat was injured right and looked really sick well this is kitty owie kitty owie yeah yeah we thought kitty owie was maybe thrown from a car I, yes, yeah that, that's why right. did we think that but that i think that's what well, the because, vet might have said yes the her the teeth kitty were broken and he kitty, had like a skid mark yeah, like, skid like he marks, had been right. dragged down pavement. so this person got this cat and and, and said, thought i know i'll rescue i'm gonna rescue this cat by, by giving him to, to Nathan, the right? So we, she called me and said, "I rescued this cat. Uh, I'm bringing him over." Right? <laughs> exactly. And the reason we called him Kitty Owie was because he he had a lot of, of owies, and our daughter, our daughter Riley, said, said "Oh, Kitty um, has an owie. Kitty with an owie. Kitty with an owie." And, and so, so he became. She Kitty would Owie. just always refer to him because well, at that time, okay. So this is an interesting. 
to distinguish this cat from the other 20, however many cats we had at the time, she would say, the kitty with the owie. Right. Right. So that just goes to show you that this kitty with an owie being brought to us was one of many rescue cats that we had. That lived in our home. That somehow made this person who, you know, it's great that she rescued the cat, but then who did the heavy lifting? Right. Because she could have kept the cat. She could have. First of all, she was my boss. So she made a lot more money than we did at the time. Right. So she could have taken the cat to the vet. She could have brought the cat to her home and she could have either kept the cat or she could have found the cat at home or we could have helped her find the cat at home. But her rescue was making Kitty with an owie, our our rescue, brought him home to our house and we ended up taking to the vet and learned that you know like we could see missing teeth facial abrasions body abrasions so he had been thrown from a car or something 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 really bad had happened lines anyways and so that's the uh, this is what you do rescue where people find an animal and And you're the person they call like well why can't you do it and you you know know? yeah and it's it puts you in a very awkward position because you don't want to say no to an animal in need but at the same time it's like well Dude, doesn't, I got, it, doesn't the fact that I have 26 cats make me the least? Exempt. Right. Yeah. Well, they've already done their heavy right. I, job. It's wait, our turn to carry call, the load, I'm the right? like, last person you should be calling to do this. But somehow. And then, okay, but then the icing on that, that cake, cake is, is that Every they, time, <laughs> every time we were in some event with the DAs or with other people or at a party where she was there, she would talk about her rescue of this of cat. Of this cat. Right. right, and that, that and, at that time was still living with us. Yes, and yeah. I mean, he, he we're actually, sitting there lived going, with us forever. "What do you mean your rescue?" Right, and so they so they not only make it right. your responsibility, right? But they then take they all take the all the credit. credit. Yeah. yeah, and I know that there are got to be rescuers listening to this right now. They're like, "Oh my Call god, yes, they'll rescue." I know that. Yeah. Okay, so this next rescue is going to be familiar to any animal lovers who happen to have kids. The school pet rescue. Oh, yes. We've had a lot of those. Well, so we homeschooled our kids. So from kindergarten through eighth grade, our kids were at home. But the kind of school school pet rescues that we had to do when they were in school makes me think that we were really lucky that we homeschooled them because the one year that our daughter went to preschool and then the four years our kids were in high school, it was just it was never, it was rescue, constantly, right? yeah, yeah. constantly right. having to do rescues. So you want to tell the story of the first, uh, well, what I mean, happened so at we, the uh, preschool? Yeah, we sent Riley to a Montessori school and uh, they had animals which every classroom seems to have, but nobody was necessarily in charge of these animals, right? So they had these birds and they had a rabbit and nobody was feeding them on the weekends when we asked. Right. Who, who takes yeah. care of the rabbit on the weekend? Who takes care of the birds on the weekend? And the answer was nobody. Right, and I did find out that on Friday afternoon, when they would leave the school for the weekend, they would throw a blanket over the birdcage and then Which the birds... is what you would normally do at, at night. night. Right, and yeah, then night. Take I guess the you do that off. with birds, and then yeah, and then in the morning you take the blanket off. But nobody was there all weekend. So they just left these birds in darkness all weekend. All weekend. All weekend. Nobody cleaned their cage. Nobody gave them fresh seeds. Nobody changed. They didn't their get any water. sunlight. They didn't get any uh, nothing. It was right. awful. And, and the rabbit. You know, and then and, the rabbit was. I I don't know if they covered his cage, but he was alone all weekend. Right. And rabbits poop a lot. And nobody yeah, cleaned no his cage, cleaning. and nobody came in to give them a fresh food. So. 
we took it on. And the rabbit came to live with us every weekend. You know what was a good thing there is that we would go in every day when there was like a school holiday or a weekend and we would take care of the birds. But do you remember Riley had a little friend and her mom? No, that's the, I was going to tell that Riley's best friend's mom was great. We became really good friends and she shared the, the duties with us. So we right. divided it because every weekend we were going in. Right. So like we didn't, we... We never we got a break. Yeah. So and we this, had our own animals to take care of. We had our own rescue we, we were doing. And, and then we also had to factor in, no matter, and it kind of like made it difficult to, to ha- spend the weekend doing things. Because we always had to take care of the because animals. Because we always had to factor in taking care. And then, yes. then our friend helped us. She took, she did half the duty and we did, and we switched off with the bunny every on the every week. other yeah, on the every weekends. other weekend yeah, to give the but, other person a day off and then and then we escaped all that yeah we homeschooled and so we didn't have any of those problems and then one no, day I, seriously, we go, I do look back given yeah. what happened like what would have happened how many more hundreds of first, animals second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth for both kids house, right? right and and yeah and, and and not just the responsibilities that come with that but it's a it's a political minefield yes. when you're and, dealing with. And so we escaped all that, and then Riley started high school, and one day we went right to up pick again. her up, and there she was with a box. And this is great, because she knew, like, right? She had this yes. box full of roly polies. Hundreds of them. Hundreds. And she knew that that was what we would have wanted her to do. Well, of course you're bringing them yes. home. We were so proud of and her. And she said that, I don't even remember what they were doing. This class, this biology class, was doing with hundreds of roller. It wasn't her police. class because she would have known sooner. Oh, that's right. She, yeah, she would have alerted us. And she came across. We would have been prepared them. for they, the situation. They were going to just throw them in the trash. Yeah, and she and was like, "No, of course, of course not." This fourteen-year-old was the only adult in the room, right? And she said, "I'll take them." Right. And she so we ended them up, home. and we found we did a whole bunch of research on. I mean, we have roly polies in our neighborhood, so probably right. anywhere we were going to let them go yes. is fine. But we but did a little Google, a little research, like where do you let a bunch of roly polies go? <laughs> I think we just let them go in our backyard. But you know, I mean, how hard would it? First of all, I mean, I don't even know what they were doing with these roly polies, right. and that stresses me and out. And what the, what that teaches the kids that when they outlive their usefulness, you just throw them in the trash, in the like trash. as if they were yesterday's trash. Right. But, but how hard would it have been to take them out behind the school and let right, them go and in release a safe? Them. Place. That like, would have what, been an education was... lesson, right? In and of itself, but that's not; those aren't the only animals, right? So then there was the home. the art project the that fish. involved live fish, right? Yeah. So so everybody had to. So do... that was just set that up. That was another day where we just pull up to pick up Riley, and right. she's got in she's her got, hands. She's it, got it, a what container was it? full it was, of it fish. It wasn't even an aquarium. It was a little plastic bin. Yeah, it was some awful with. Dirty like, water where, and the, these three sad little fish in it. And it yeah. turned out some kid thought he neglected w- his art project. Well, he was done. Like Probably waited till the night before, didn't know what to do, went and bought three fish at a pet store, separated them with... Yeah, that he, he was trying to do something artistic. So he put some kind of like plastic barriers of different colors yes. and then the fish and swam each in bar- each little section. Yes. So it was awful because... The fish had no food. They had no food. Nobody... Nobody was cleaning it, so the water was filled yes. with pneumonia. Right. and uh, Ammonia. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, toxic water. It was awful. And Riley asked the teacher. This wasn't even her class again. And right. She, she, she saw just, them. She, they it, were in display in, like, a communal space, like the theater. And she the school, asked where she spent the teacher, a lot of time. what's happening here? And she said, oh, the project's over. I don't know. We'll probably just end up throwing them out. So think about that. That's what the teacher said. I don't know. The project's over. We'll probably just throw them out. So Riley brought them home. And these fish lived with us. For many years. For many years. So 
just to point out, like, yes, these fish live with us for many years and, and you took such great care of them and you learned everything there was to learn about fish. And these fish that were just these tiny little goldfish, right? They live, they got huge. Well, so here's so, the interesting the, thing. The fish got as big as the aquarium allowed. The car- so, and they basically got as big. So we were just constantly having to upgrade the equipment. Yeah, so we went from a 10-gallon tank to a 20-gallon tank to a 40-gallon tank to a 60-gallon tank. Right, and not and it just and, kept getting bigger and bigger. And, bigger and the and amount bigger. of work that it required yes. to keep. And and then we were at a, it was very stressful for a while because we were like, what? we wanted to give them the optimal environment that we could, but it's hard because they just kept getting bigger. And not only that, we wanted to make sure this didn't happen again. Right. And this is always one of those moments where you want to teach your kids, this is what you do. It's great that we rescued these fish, but how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? So you... So the school had this thing called coffee with the headmaster, right. where once a week he would welcome parents to come and talk about whatever they want. So... So you went. Nathan went to coffee with the headmaster. <laughs> to master. talk about the fish, right. And so I had a long conversation with the headmaster and laid out my concerns uh, and told our kids. We told our, right, our daughter, we're going to do this and we're going to make sure that we're not in a situation where if we don't rescue them, these fish die. And the headmaster agreed with me and apologized profusely. Yeah, and, he was very receptive. And promised me that this idea of using live animals for art projects would come to an end. And so we thought we solved the problem. Right. I mean, well, we never did see another live uh, fish being used as an art While project. While he was headmaster. While he was headmaster. But, you know, the frustrating thing about this, looking back, is that the spirit of that agreement wasn't honored. It wasn't right? necessarily because, about our projects. It yeah, was about it wasn't using about live, live animals, animals, exploiting live animals, and having no plan for quality of life or care for the rest of their lives. Right. Which is what the adult responsible thing to do. You shouldn't have animals to begin with. But if you're going to have them, you got to be responsible. I mean, you're a, you're a school. Right. You're an education And you have more, you have a responsibility to also model Good behavior for the kids, right? right? And they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And in fact, this next thing that happened was a couple years later, and what was so disturbing about it is that neglecting the fish was part of... It was cruel by design. It it was by design. It was was a biology class project on ecosystems and what would happen to these ecosystems if they were left to their own devices, meaning the fish would get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And these kids would write on the aquarium when the fish died. Right. right? And and they and they named these fish. Right. And so and our and our son, this time it was our son, because I think Riley had graduated by this right. point. Our son would go into the sign this wasn't his class. Again. And his cause because if that it, was the pattern. if that was an assignment that he'd been given, we would he'd have shut been, it down. We we would have Yeah, we, yeah, would, we would have been he mobilized. He would have told us right away and, and we, we would, would have, have found a way to shut this right. cruelty down. However that didn't happen because it wasn't his class. And so he didn't find out about it until he was, he went into that room for some reason and he saw these and he walked over and we had fish at home. I mean, of course, Willoughby would be able, would be able to notice neglected fish, but we also had fish at home that were incredibly well cared for. So he immediately could see all this. Well, the water was filthy and written in marker Ugh, on the aquarium was, so was like, awful. rest in, in peace, boo-boo. Yeah. So there was like a running list of all the, all fish, the fish that, that, that had died. died. So, and there was like, a couple of fish that were still alive in there, right. but they were going to die because right. they were just being neglected. And right. literally that was the 
that was the assignment, right? right? So Will sprung into action. So what did he do? So Will came to us to tell us what he found. And obviously the first thing we told him to do is to make sure that the animals, the fish are no longer in imminent danger. So we cleaned up the water and gave them food because we had the supplies at home. So we made sure we tested the ammonia level. And That's got, right. He got all those supplies the, and we the did yeah, levels exactly. and uh, make sure the fish were safe and then taught him how to advocate for change by going up the chain of command. So first you go to the teacher and if the teacher's not responsive, then you go to the head of the department. If the head of department's not responsive, then you go to the school administrators. And it was a very stressful time for the poor kid. I felt, it, I felt really bad, especially because it was his senior year at that point. And so Will was, and he's a great student and he really, you know, he wanted to keep his grades up. And the last thing he wanted to do, it put him in a precarious position to be challenging teachers. That's well, the head of the department was also one of his professors and one of his professors that was going to write him a letter, a of, letter recommendation. of recommendation and you know and she was non-responsive and so he was in this position where do you know do I go to battle with the person who might hold one of the keys of me getting into the college or do I, I go above go that to? person's head right. and then they're going to look bad them. right and so yeah it was it but was really that. yeah but he did he, he went he all he the did. way to the top and we rescued the fish they ended up saying that you guys can take the well, remaining so, fish. Yes, because right. Will, Will basically said to him, I'm not letting you kill these fish. And and the experiment, quote unquote, was already ruined because he had cleaned the neutralized water. <laughs> the water from the ammonia and <laughs> right. fed the fish and said, I'm going to keep feeding the fish. So we ended up taking the fish. But uh, the poor kid was stressed out his that whole time period undermining like these schools, you know, talk up and down about being safe spaces for all kids but here's a kid who's an animal lover and certainly they didn't provide they didn't provide a safe space for the fish i mean that goes without saying but right. then they also uh did very little to make sure will felt safe right and and it was really a, a big source of stress for him i mean imagine having to go every day to a place where you have to see these animals suffering and know that th- you're the they're Safety depends on you. Like right. it was a tremendous pressure to put on this poor kid. And go to battle with your teachers. Yeah, it was really hard and he did it and we were very proud. But he did, yeah. Okay. And okay, so we have two are, more kinds of rescues. Yes, those are kind of the general categories of rescues and you and yeah. I... Oh, and uh, if if you're listening to this and you have a different kind of rescue... We'd love to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and if you could give it a name or whatever, yes. we would love if it, to. If, if, if the falls, rescue fits into a category, we, we could expand the category. Because we've rescued more, right? You know, yeah, like, lots so and lots. And, and and we were trying to, you know, we don't want we, this to go on just, for all day. Yes, but, we just wanted the archetypes, yeah, right? Like what are, yeah, what are some of the, so, the so, most interesting stories? So the last I think we're going to talk about are kind of in classes by themselves. Yeah, I don't think anyone has the paid in hamsters rescue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, we do. <laughs> yeah, right. So this was when we lived in Southern California. So um, we have an organization called the No Kill Advocacy Correct. Center. And we provide assistance to shelter directors and volunteers and and shelter reformers. Right. And And I was doing uh, operational assessments, consulting and training for shelters. And the local shelter where we lived at the time, which was San Clemente uh, in Southern California, this was years ago, and they wanted to embrace TNR. And so they wanted a training class for their staff and volunteers to learn how to tame feral kittens because they weren't having great success. And so they asked me, would I be willing to 
teach that class do the training. to the public. You guys came to the training session. And because we had been doing it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I actually think I had done some of those trainings also when you were in Ithaca. Yeah. At for the at the shelter there. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. For um, volunteer training. For, bo- for uh, neonatal bottle feeding. Bottle feeding. Yeah. You used to do the bottle feeding class. And anyways, Riley, our daughter, would always say to me when I went to shelters, "Bring back kittens, the, the naughty, naughty ones," because she loved feral kittens. What what she would do is we would wrap them like they were little burritos where their bodies were wrapped in their little like heads. you would swaddle them yeah their little heads would pop out and she would just She'd hold just them carry them and around. carry them around and they would tame yeah right because they couldn't go anywhere <laughs> and they would eventually realize this is a nice little girl and you know people are bring good things right, right? yeah anyway so you were there and the kids were there and i was doing this training and they wanted to thank me for the training and they said how could we ever repay you and riley said i want those those hamsters right because they had two hamsters and so i got paid in hamsters you got paid in hamsters yes yes and actually so riley got a hamster and and we had that they took care of a hamster and whenever you get gifts you have to declare the value of the gift (laughs) to the IRS so that they they could be, all gifts are taxable. So, and that includes hamsters. Hamsters. And so So what did you write? I valued them at a billion (laughs) dollars. I thought they'd get a laugh, but the IRS was not amused. But anyways, so that's the paid in hamsters rescue and just some of the many rescues that we've done. And I'm sure people can add their own categories of rescue. Yeah, we'd love to see if you if you have some sort of category that you see repeating itself over and over again, let us know on uh, Nathan's Facebook page. But the reason we wanted to talk about this is just to remind people that you're not alone. Yeah, and, that that you it probably feels that way. Because I know in a lot of those times, it feels like we are alone. But Yes, but, but we not. have each other. Yeah, we and, have each other. And actually reminds me of when my sister told me a story about how she was driving with her then boyfriend and she turned to him. She said, I just saw a squirrel in the road. Can we turn around and go back and make sure he's okay? And he said he didn't want to right. and kept and going. And she said, I knew he wasn't right for me. So that's one way uh, you can know if the person you're interested in or you're with is right for you is just ask Will they him or her. To do the double check. Will you do the double check? And if they say yes, they're probably a keeper. Right on. Okay. Keep up the good work. Yes. And uh, have and, a sense of humor. Yes. <laughs> it'll all work out. And if you like this conversation, subscribe on Substack. You can also learn more about us, our books, our other work, and more at NathanWinograd.com or AllAmericanVegan.com.